Hello, Marvelites who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 574. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Agent of Halloween, Lorraine Sink. And I am the voice of the scary, JMI. We are complete again. (laughs) Yes, we are. James, that you say you're the voice of the scary, yet you just spent 15 minutes before we started recording telling us about how much of a scaredy cat you are. I like it. Oh. That is so true. Look, it's it's an actor's life. It's like when the when the lights are on, when the microphone's on, I am not scared of anything. The minute professional goes away, I am back to being shaggy with Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> I am full on sinus infection agent this week, but we power on because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel. We've got games, comics, movies, TV, lots of stuff we're excited about. It's a big honkin' show this week. And it's extra spooky because it's Halloween week. So we're talking lots of Halloween goodness. We even have some special guests. Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night star is joining us, Gail Garcia Bernal. And we're also reading some scary stories from Marvel's past. And of course, we've got all that sweet, delicious Marvel news. Which let's just dive right into it because this week we had not one but two amazing trailers. The first that we got was for Marvel. Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. We got a brand new trailer. We got a poster of Kang and some of the other cast members. We got a bunch of official images. James, you started to tell us about your reaction to this trailer. Tell us. I legitimately fanned out, nerded out when you see the characters look very much like how they do in the comic. So when Kang came out and the, the purple was around his face, I, I was like, mm-hmm. come on! It just, it just, oh, it just, it made me so happy. And I love how Marvel Studios is able to work the design around the actor who's playing it. Oh my gosh. I, I watched it like three times back to back. Like, the, I think, I think Don called me. For any of you husbands out there, where your wife calls you, but you you hear them, but they're in a, they're, they're distant because you're so focused on something else. She was like, James, 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 huh? It was it was that. So <laughs> I'm so excited for this film. February 2023 cannot come soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> no, the quantum realm and Kang looks sick. Oh my Ooh. god, it's so good. It's like. The opening parts of the trailer where you're getting to see like the ant fam, as it were, all together and all that stuff. But then they get sucked into the quantum realm and the vibrancy of that world, that universe, that everything about it is so beautiful and so fully realized and exciting. And this, as everybody should remember, Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania coming out February 17th, 2023 officially kicks off phase five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Bum, bum, bum. Well, there's even more on the docket because Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special released a trailer and key art and uh, very excited to ring in the holidays November 25th exclusively on Disney+. Plus. This is a really exciting venture that we've never seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. We get a holiday special, but super excited for this big adventure that they're going to go on to help Quill have a really unforgettable Christmas. There are just so many wonderful things that are teased at in the trailer. It's so much fun seeing the Guardians, specifically Drax and Mantis, on Earth partying, yeah. running around, doing stuff. And then the moment where the trailer like has the, the cast and it's like in this very 
nostalgic font. It's like Trax, Mantis, Rocket, Cosmo. <laughs> and then at introducing Kevin Bacon, I lost it. I was just like, come <laughs> right. on. It's so perfect. Oh. I can't wait for everybody to watch this. Of course, it was written and directed by James Gunn, who has worked on the previous Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy films. And it's just going to be some merry holiday mayhem. Again, you can watch it exclusively on Disney Plus on November 25th. And of course, you could head over to marvel.com, check out the trailer and the key art. Maybe check out some of the brand new Funkos inspired by the special. Let's celebrate. It's terrific. So, Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever Red Carpet World premiere happened on Wednesday. But if you missed it, head over to the Marvel YouTube channel for the full stream best moments of the night and interview clips. Experience the film only in theaters on November 11th and get your tickets now. But there is something about just being, if you can't be there, but watching the red carpet on YouTube. I mean, you know, you could even put the YouTube on your big screen if you have it and dress up really nice. Get, you know, get a nice little glass and like, you're there. Get yourself ready for November 11th when you get your tickets to go see this great film because I'm telling you, y'all, we about to have a good time when this bad boy comes out. I got to say, the first film, the fashion was mm. immaculate on mm. the red carpet. We are recording this before the premiere, but I know for a fact it's going to be fire. When you're African-American and, and this film came out, you went to the movies and people, black folks dress up the church. Okay, black folks dress up the church. This was the first time I saw black people dress up to the movies, okay? Mm. I went to the movies and brothers and sisters were dressed up to sit in a film. I was like, oh, I didn't get the memo. I, I, didn't, I didn't get the memo. So next time I showed up, I was ready. I was ready. But I was like, folks came dressed. So now... We are celebrating Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's going to be great. Also, you guys know me. I am a huge, huge Disney Park fan. And we get to celebrate Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever at the Avengers Campus! <sighs> Beginning on November 11th and running through January 8th. That's actually my brother's birthday. Running through January 8th, 2023, visitors to Avengers Campus at Disney California Adventure can encounter, learn from, and celebrate the arrival of the new visiting warriors. Taste Wakanda in inspired delicacies, discover props from the film, and more in Avengers Campus and beyond at Disney California Adventure. Plus, guests can pose with a special art installation at the downtown Disney District. Woo! Yeah, I mean, there's so much cool stuff. There's a celebration garden where you can celebrate the lore of Wakanda and the Black Panther. There's all of these different food locations. They have all these like drink containers and things, one of which is Shuri's Panther Gauntlets, which is yes. super cute. Yep. Tons of cool merch at the Superstore featuring Avengers Campus located in Hollywood Land. If you're going into the park, plus M'Baku's going to be there as a new heroic encounter. We love mm -hmm. to see it. And there is a beautiful piece that James just mentioned that's in downtown Disney, in the downtown Disney district. And it's a mural created by Nicholas Smith, who's a fabulous artist. I follow him on Instagram and he's epic. And it's an art installation called King Chad. If you see it, you probably recognize it from the trailer in the film, but there's so much stuff to do. It's super fun. Am I reading this right? That the Sherry's Panther Gauntlets are just one of several drinking vessels. Yeah. So we can use her little panther gauntlets like cups. So you can get punched in the face over and over again like little puppies. <laughs> Please, someone get yes. these for me. I need these now. Thank you. <laughs> Ryan, I got you, bro. 
one more awesome bit of Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever stuff is that the NBA and Marvel Studios have tipped off a co-promotional campaign for the film. So it's called NBA Forever with it's got like a mashup promotional video that has been running across NBA, Marvel Studios, social media platforms, digital platforms. It's airing on ESPN. You've got NBA stars seeing them infuse their on-court performances with a sneak peek of the upcoming film. It's just cool to see how we've gone from Black Panther, who is a celebrated, beloved character in our comics, now in one of the the biggest franchises in the world, in films, and now combining with the NBA, which is one of the hugest, biggest sports things in the world. So you get, with this collaboration, we'll see uh, activations for various teams across the league, new content on the NBA app, merchandise, player and team screenings, and more. If you want to learn more about this, you can you know find it on Marvel Studios, NBA, social media, and the NBA app. Just a side note, as as a, as a fan, as a fan, James Monroe Hart, as a fan, as an African-American fan, when I was a kid, we were always looking for heroes to be, or I know people say this all the time, but heroes that look like you on screen. But to see how big Black Panther has become, to see how the world has embraced Black Panther, and not just the Black community, but just the world at large has embraced Black Panther, has been so inspiring and so inspirational and so much fun. And just also to see a hero that literally is can stand next to Iron Man and Captain America and, and be respected. I got a Sprite can yesterday, and if you get the Sprite, they have a little QR code that you put your camera on, all of a sudden, one of the Dormelage comes up on your phone and talks to you and all kinds of backstage stuff that happens. I, I flipped out again. My wife called me three times because I was too busy looking at the stuff on the Sprite thing. I mean, just the fact that Wakanda is is in the pantheon of our world and it's accepted as a hero. I just, I don't know. I, 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 I can't even describe what 12-year-old me would have done if that would have happened at that time. It's a great time to be a hero fan. It's a great time to just be alive. I'm, I'm having a great time. Heck Amen. yeah. Also, um, a great time to be undead if you're looking for some <laughs> Halloween. Um, <laughs> there's some spooky new pins from 100soft. Of course, 100soft does all the emojis that you might see when you hashtag something on social media yeah. that is Marvel related. Those cute little emojis are by 100%soft. And he has some pins uh, based on some emojis. So there's a werewolf by night. There's a Halloween Wanda Maximoff. There's a Halloween Vision, Agatha Harkness, Kongshu, Garganto the big eye creature from Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. There's Dead Strange. There's Gore. There's Red Skull. There's a whole bunch of them. They're super cute. Head over to 100soft.com if you want to check them out and pick one up. They do sell out, so get over there. There might be some that are gone already. And there are some other Marvel Studios enamel emoji pins as well. They also have some newly released mega emojis that are more like kind of like vinyl figures. Terrific. I wanted to just once again mention Marvel Snap. We've been talking about it for a while. We actually have some mentions in the community section about it, but it is a sensation. I'm watching like everyone in the world seemingly discover the game that Lorraine and I have been in love with for a long time, and it's great. If you need any help about Marvel Snap, 
it's a deck building game. And so we have some guides on marvel.com, some deck building guides. We have some deep dives into the art, all that stuff on the site. We want people to learn and experience. And if you need any help, there's lots of help out there. But go play it, play it, play it, play it. Download it on your app store for your, your mobile phone, or you can play it on PC. Download it on the Apple App Store or get it on Google Play or Steam today so you can play it on your phone or PC. James, have you played Marvel Snap yet? I have not. I'm, I've am i been in the dark, but I did see the commercial and I felt so bad for Nick Fury. I was like, <laughs> I, I thought it was a new trailer and I didn't know what it was. I was like, who's replacing? Oh, I need to get this game. <laughs> yes, there was a very cheeky trailer featuring Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Honestly, I was so... <laughs> like absolutely blown away by that trailer for <laughs> yes, the game I know. right i was like it wow. was so lux <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's why I, I was like what new movie is this like wait this is a game <laughs> i had to look it up i was like oh that's pretty dope okay so great i will say this james if you get the game the matches are very quick but you may just keep playing match after match after match so if you're like waiting to get on stage and you're just like i'm just gonna do a quick match a snap do not blame me if you miss your cue to Listen, go on stage. This is, no, this is why I do not play games or read my comics during the show. I won't mention what Tony Award winning show <laughs> I was in, but I might have been in my dressing room reading a comic that Ryan told me to read and heard music that I should have been down there for, thank the Lord, the elevator was working and I was able to get on stage. But that's that's a whole different thing. And there might have been a historical show that won a Tony <laughs> that I might have been in the stage management office reading, well, a book Lorraine had worked on about wonderful, powerful young ladies that I might have been reading and, and heard music and I should have been in a certain place. So that's why I don't do that now. Because if I'm reading or playing, I'm deep into it, y'all. Like... <laughs> It's like so when I once I get to work I focus on work because if I read or play you can forget about work. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> these are all true stories. These are true damn stories. <laughs> I know, I know, I, I know. It's very real. And if you're looking for your next read, James, might yes. we recommend Marvel Anatomy, a scientific study of the superhuman that is now on sale? It is so awesome. I've gotten a chance to look through this. It's really cool. It's a guidebook by T'Challa and Shuri on how superheroes, aliens, weapons, and more things function. It has illustrations by Jonah Loeb, and it has a great story and text by Mark Sumerak and Daniel Wallace. And it's just got all of these like incredible anatomy pictures. If you are scared of the interior of a body, I would say like tread lightly, but it's so so cool just to see the different inner workings of all these different characters and explaining their powers and how it works. We're going to have Mark and Jonah on the show to talk about the book in a coming episode very soon. And it's a great, great Marvel holiday gift. If you're starting to think about things that you want to get for the Marvel fans in your life, or you want to put on your list <laughs> for other people to get you, it's a great book. It's really cool. While Lorraine is hyping it up, for us on the show, I'm showing off pages of it to James over our video chat. Like, look, they do a, a whole thing on Cyclops' visor. Uh, come on! I am absolutely in love with this book. It's beautiful, and it's fun, and it's smart, and it, there's a cool story woven into it. So definitely check it out. Marvel Anatomy, a scientific study of the superhuman. Get it wherever you get your books. That is really yeah. cool. That is really cool. I definitely need to have that on my coffee table. 
But it's a new year very soon, James. What's coming around the corner for Marvel Stormbreakers? Well, we have comic book variant covers coming in 2023 by Marvel's Stormbreakers. The next generation of elite artists have arrived. Marvel's Stormbreakers class of 2023 features a diverse lineup of illustrators who are constantly breaking the mold and bringing life to every panel. To celebrate the start of this new Stormbreakers era, all eight artists have drawn spectacular new variant covers that will debut in January. The first of many Stormbreakers variants to come. These covers feature some of the most iconic Marvel heroes depicted in the distinctive art styles of this new lineup of industry superstars. Ryan, why don't you let the people know who these folks are? Yeah, they're amazing artists. Elena Casagrande, Nick Klein, Jan Bazaldua, Chris Allen, Martin Coccolo, Lucas Wernick, Federico Vicentini, and Sia Villa. It's just... We're going to be talking about them plenty, plenty more come 2023. So get ready. I know a lot of our listeners go and check out the variant covers and and order them from your local comic shop. So stay tuned. You're going to want some of these. Oh, and if you're looking for like just a little fun education piece, I wanted to shout out. I wrote a piece for Marvel.com on who is Adam Warlock. Some of you folks might have some uh, interest in that character for, I don't know, some reason. (laughs) But the explainer is super fun. It's very 70s. Our graphics team was so unhinged when they edited it. It's just (laughs) wild. And also Adam Warlock's story is so wild and crazy and fun and 70s and very Godspell um, (laughs) in the art (laughs) style. So definitely go check it out over on Marvel.com or the Marvel YouTube channel if you want to learn a little bit more about Adam Warlock and be entertained for a solid three minutes. Yeah. If you want to be entertained for about an hour, you can listen to Marvel's Pull List podcast, other show that I do where we we tell you all about the new comics coming out every week, give you previews, reasons to check them out, give our picks. And this week, our picks are Axe Judgment Day number six, which is the final issue of our big summer fall event, New Mutants number 31, and X-Men Legends number three. Our reading club guest for this week, where we read a book in Marvel Unlimited, is Ghost Rider artist Corey Smith, coming on to talk about Ghost Rider Hellbent and Heaven Bound, the first Ghost Rider arc by writer Jason Aaron from 2008. I have been yelling at anyone I could to read this series. Jason wrote about 20 issues of Ghost Rider in 2008 to 2009 or so. Some of my favorite Marvel comics, period. My favorite Ghost Rider, hands down. It's so good. I want everybody else to read this. So go listen to our conversation about it. It's so friggin' good. That run also introduced us to my favorite Ghost Rider, Knuckles O'Shaughnessy, who is a 1920s like dead-end kid who wears a little newsboy hat and is a ghost rider and has a bat with nails in it and he fights evil and he doles out vengeance with just amazing dialogue. I love him so much. Anyway, you can listen to Marvel's Pull List on SiriusXM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now in my head, I'm just thinking of evil newsies, but... Right, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. (laughs) But hey, we got through the news, but there's even more. We have an interview coming up with Gail Garcia Bernal from Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night, who plays Jack Russell in the film alongside actor Laura Donnelly as Elsa Bloodstone. He's interviewed by a friend of the show, Ron Richards, VP of Planning and Platforms (laughs) Digital Media. Yeah. That's awesome that he jumped in for this. And Ron talks with him all about the experience of being on set and working with director Michael Giacchino. Let's listen to it right now. (laughs) 
so first question for you is uh, what was your favorite moment from filming the special whether it was on camera or behind the scenes well uh i think throughout i mean throughout there were i mean just the encountering the the creative dialogue with michael and with laura as well there was something that we were I mean, Laura, especially, she's so such a fanatic of Halloween and, and uh, kind of the monsters and uh, and uh, and Michael is also. But you know, the, the, there was this kind of interesting behind the scenes conversations every time we caught, uh, where we would talk about monsters, you know, and we would talk about you know the, all the possibilities. And uh, it's great because with a project like this, there is that opportunity to to ponder about what the characters had done before and what will they do and what will they, we can appear on and, and what uh, all the different ideas and uh, I don't know, everything that goes with it. And, uh, and that's, that's incredible. That doesn't happen with, uh, with other films. With other films, you're not thinking about that. But in this case, the, the, you know, there was a chance to kind of imagine where this leads to or, or how can we construct it even, you know, and, and obviously Michael has many, 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 many ideas but what, that was one of the delights of being invited into this project is to build and construct a character like this. That's great. That's actually my next question was is tied to that, which is like specifically, how did you work with Michael Giacchino to find Jack's heart in the story? Because, you know, in watching it, he's a monster, but he's also incredibly caring and compassionate. So how did you guys get to that point? Well, I mean, part of that is what the actors uh, we should never be aware of. There is a, there's casting, no? <laughs> there's, there's casting and, and the... Once you're invited into this, well, there's a reason behind it, yep. no? And um, and I, amongst the many you know, the many aspects of a character like this, definitely the the half canine kind of aspect of the character, you know, all of these things that help me, you know, build the character and give body and color the character. Uh, one of them, for example, was a uh, werewolves live many many years. So who knows, Jack Russell maybe has been alive for the last 200, 300, 400 years. So how would a character like this or someone that has lived so many years would react to the mundane or to the day-to-day, -day, you know? How would the conversations would be engaged? You know, so, so things like that, you know, and there's, there's a big possibility with a character like this to go into different tangents and to try out different things. So... Uh, so that's how we started to build it and, and put it together. And at the same time, you know, you build a, you kind of establish a little concept, but then you try it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then you fix it and, you, you know, you go this or this other way. So it's a, it's a process, I guess. So in terms of uh, working with Laura and Jack and Elsa's relationship, you know, it seems very contentious by virtue of the competition. What was it like building that tension and that reluctant trust with Elsa? Well, at the same time, they, they, immediately sense uh, especially um, Jack who has uh, lived uh, many years <laughs> can read a little bit the room you know and can understand a little bit who who stands where so I think there is a um, he knows more or less what Laura is is up to in a way sorry the, the character of Elsa Bloodstone so we just started to try out things and started to establish okay a kind of a what would the conversations be about? How the approach would be, and and what what both characters are looking for, and uh, and I think that was one of the things I mentioned at the beginning, like that I loved talking with Laura about because she she really likes uh, these characters, you know, she really she's a big fan of these characters, so it was 
incredible to talk with her. And also she's a great actress, you know, and a great person to work with. Excellent. So the other relationship that Jack has is with Man-Thing. What is that relationship like between the two characters? And, and you get a sense of a history there. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of the things that I think can uh, be part of the relationship is, is stuff that I won't say because uh, <laughs> I will spoil it. But not only that, I will um, I will spoil it for the future, you know, possibilities that can exist. So yes, no, no, let's not talk about that. Fair enough. <laughs> so in terms of uh, working with Man Thing, though, he was, you know, from what we understand, he was a practical monster. What was it like filming with the actual Man Thing there with you? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I I would I had never maybe I'm one of the very few actors that has never worked with green screen, you know. Uh, I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, there's many actors that are experienced about that, but I, I really have no experience on, on that. Yeah, excellent. All right. So what are you most excited for fans to see with this special presentation? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I, it's interesting, the, the whole kind of uh, horror genre, no? I mean, it's, uh, it's one of the most stylized genres of filmmaking. And I'm interested to see the, you know, the fanatics of this genre, how they, they engaged with this sort of uh, also experimental kind of length, which is um, in Spanish, we would call it a mediometraje, which would be like a half a movie. And that was a uh, kind of a format that existed before, no? Uh, there were these films that were only like 50 minutes or something like that, no? Which is actually a quite a good length to tell something, you know, to give a taste of something. And I love the fact that it leaves everyone with anticipation, you know, <laughs> curiosity of what will happen next. So, yeah, I, I think that and also getting to know these characters and also the experimentation that we went through, uh, you know, the film is in black and white. And that is something that is quite interesting nowadays in, in this very well kind of groomed uh, visual culture that we all have. Uh, let's see how that reaction is. Uh, I think uh, everybody appreciates that it's very different. So it's fascinating. I, I, I don't know. Uh, let's see what the consequences of this will be. Great. And my last question for you is, how did you prepare to become Jack Russell? Did you read any of the comics? Did you watch old movies? Like, what was the preparation like? Yes, I did the, those two things that you mentioned. But at the same time, I started to read a lot about the mythology of werewolves as well. And this uh, half-human kind of creatures in different cultures of the world, and started to, to investigate a little bit, and started to um, yeah to place it also in a kind of a sociological, uh, anthropological maybe archetype of uh, society, and uh, and where do they fit? And I think there are so many opportunities there to tell so many things about the state of things uh, nowadays. But also the, the fact that, you know, the monsters, what, what do they represent? Are they only the sublimation of our traumas, of our collective traumas? Or are they also an excuse to persecute some people? And so I, I think it kind of, uh, it can have those consequences, you know, those kind of like uh, tangents and, and argumentative tangents as well. So I, I got really interested into this character because of all these possibilities. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to see how everybody reacts to the special. Yes, Thanks. exactly. Thank you so much. There you have it. Watch Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it right now. It's so good. Go watch it in all of its black and white glory. It is such a good special presentation for Marvel Studios. I am definitely going to watch it again. I've already watched it a couple times, but 
I definitely could watch it a couple more times. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. so fun. Now, that's not the end of our spooky stuff this week because we three are about to read some scary stories from Marvel's past. But before we do that, we wanted to replay a little introduction with Terrence Wanke that we also aired last year. He's a professional development specialist and was a professor at East West University. Knows a ton about the history of comics, particularly, and fortunately for us, early horror comics. And he helps to give us a little context to the types of stories we're about to hear. So let's hear a little bit from Terrence and then we'll get into those stories. Hello, hello. So nice to hear from you. Yeah, we just had some questions about some good old fashioned spooky stories from Marvel's early days. I love spooky stories from Marvel's early days. I've written a book specifically on horror comics called The Comic Scare Returns. And more recently, I put out a book called Robert Kirkman Conversations, a collection of interviews with Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman, who's responsible for great series like Marvel Zombies and The Walking Dead. So you have quite a breadth of knowledge And we're reading today from Marvel's Strange Tales. Could you briefly describe what Strange Tales is to somebody who might be unfamiliar with those old school comics? Strange Tales was first published in 1951. This was a fantastic and interesting period in comics history, in part because it is where we see the growth of horror comics. In the post-war years, we started to see things change. The comics readership literally grew up. We saw genres become more diversified, while Superheroes were dominant. Superheroes were a little bit on the wane at the time, and we saw these other genres coming into play. Most popular were crime and especially horror. We see that definitely in the beginning of 1951, and some of the the dominant publishers at that time were EC, Harvey, and yes, Atlas Comics for the early Marvel comics. They came into play here with things like Strange Tales. You know, for us, we, we're doing these really cool prose stories and, you know, we're, we're looking at those. There's usually like one image in each of these stories. But to a lot of our modern readers and listeners, these kind of seem a little strange. Can you explain why so many issues of Strange Tales and some of our other comic magazines at the time feature prose stories, particularly why the, the horror ones were so popular to do prose for? Well, to begin with, the explanation for it is pretty simple, and I'm glad you referred to them as comics magazines, because publishers at that time were including these prose stories because they wanted to get good postage rates, the the magazine postage rates. So that's why it was always included in there. But the interesting thing about it is that these prose stories often were really great. One thing that they did was they often picked up on the comic sensibilities. So we saw people writing in prose in visual ways, but also capturing the horror spirit of the time. One of the things that was notable about the horror comics at the time is that horror comics often could deal with these interesting taboo subjects and push the envelope a little bit further because there was nothing really holding them back. It was pre-comics code. So we have these, these stories that are not held back like they were in film at that time with the Hollywood production code. Now, a lot of these stories don't have any credits. A lot of comic stories of the time were missing some credits. Do we know who wrote some or any of these prose stories? Occasionally we do, but for the most part, we don't. It was 
typical to publish these stories without any credits given to the writers for the prose stories or the writers and the illustrators for the comic stories. It was just the habit at the time, and it wouldn't be until the 1970s that we see these credits done very widely. Well, you've given us so much wonderful context. Before we go, do you have an all-time favorite old-school Marvel horror story? Oh, you know, in terms of the prose stories, you know, there, there's there's a couple that I really like that pick up on certain things that are characteristically horror. And the one that I, I like best is probably The Strange Man from Strange Tales number 28. The reason I, I like this so much is that it deals with something that was characteristic of the time. It was an amnesia story. And I think that ties together with a lot of the anxieties that people had in the, the, the Cold War era, this fear of who I am and what might influence me. But I love this one because we wake up in this, this terrifying scene and basically the person who's in the middle of it has to figure it out. The bloody dagger, the dead body. Who am I in the midst <laughs> of this and what does it mean for me? These are the types of stories that I loved from that time period because it sort of dealt with this burgeoning field of psychology. What made us who we are? And sometimes the answer is, well, whatever makes us who we are, if it's our instincts, it's our culture, it makes us into something pretty horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very appropriate for this week and for Halloween. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Terrence. Have a great, great Halloween weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Happy Halloween to you. <laughs> Thank you once again to Terrence Wanke. You can check out even more talk about vintage comics with Terrence in episode one of Marvel's Declassified, available on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. And I am one of the hosts on that, so do it just for funsies. You can also check out a reading of Terrence's favorite Marvel prose horror story, The Strange Man from Strange Tales number 28, in last year's Halloween episode of This Week in Marvel from October 29th, 2021. Go enjoy. All right. I think we should get into these stories. A little content warning here. If your hair grows in white from this period onward... That's a risk you're going to have to take for these scary stories. <laughs> All right, y'all. Let's do this. Uh, James, how about you kick us off? Sounds like a plan. This is from Strange Tales number 5 from October 8th, 1951. It's called Welcome to the Werewolves. The stout, heavy, mustached man in the easy chair looked up from cleaning his rifle as the tall, thin fellow in the homespun clothing walked into the dingy hotel room. You must be Steve Simon. I've been waiting for you. My name is Draha Abronovich. Howdy! Stephen Simon shook hands briefly, then sat on the bed. Rollins, the desk clerk, told me you was have been uh, looking for me. I have, Mr. Simon. I have. I've been told that you are the best guide to these Kentucky mountains that can be found. I'll need a good guide for the hunting I intend to do. The other man took a chaw of tobacco out of his shirt pocket and stuck it in his mouth. What, uh, what kind of hunting is that? Abramovich leaned forward and smiled a terrible smile. Werewolf hunting, my friend. Werewolf hunting. You see this rifle? It has hunted many a werewolf before. Simon stared at him. Werewolves? <laughs> <laughs> we never had any werewolves in these mountains. 
Yes, you have, my friend. You simply have not known about it. These woods, these hills and mountains are simply infested with their horrible creatures. Cattle killed mysteriously, people disappearing. These are all the mark of the werewolf. The mountaineer considered the matter for a moment. Can't say as I recall any particular people disappearing in cattle. <laughs> of course, cattle are killed mysteriously all the time, only it ain't so mysterious. Usually it's either wandering hobos or big polecats or sometimes even real wolves what killed them. But werewolves? Nah. Abronovich shook a pudgy finger under his nose. And I tell you, my friend, that from what I have been reading in the papers about this region, there are werewolves here. Do you know what a werewolf is? No, can't rightly say I do. The stout little man started walking up and down the tiny room. A werewolf is a human being with the power to change into a wolf at night. And as such, he delights in killing all live things. And not just for food, my friend. For pleasure, he kills all live things he encounters. But he especially loves to kill human beings. And every human he kills becomes a werewolf himself. That is the true horror of the thing. It spreads from victim to victim like an overpowered infection. Stephen Simon swallowed. Um, sounds pretty bad, and you say we got werewolves in these mountains? I know you have. I have read the newspapers carefully, my friend. I can always tell when werewolves have been active in the region. I notice things that other men hardly see, and from what I have been hearing about this particular section of Kentucky, I can tell you with certainty that you have werewolves operating in their dread fashion here. Well... How come you know so much about him? Draha Abronovich laughed bitterly. How come? <laughs> I was born in Balkans, one of the worst werewolf areas in the world. My parents, my poor younger sister, were all killed by werewolves, and I swore to spend my life exterminating them. And I have here the one weapon which they fear, the one weapon which can destroy them. This rifle? the mountaineer asked. Exactly. This rifle. As you may or may not know, the only way to kill a werewolf is with a silver bullet. Ordinarily, bullets cannot harm them. But suppose, my friend, you use a silver bullet and you miss. What then? The answer is... Finny. He drew his forefinger across his throat to illustrate. Stephen Simon nodded and shivered slightly. I have added something which removes that danger. I have had a special rifled barrel made whose inside is coated with silver. I shoot ordinary bullets with it, but as they blast up the barrel, they pick up enough thin layer of silver to make them deadly to the werewolf. Thus, even if I miss, so long as I have other cartridges in my werewolf rifle, I can eventually kill the fantastically evil beasts. Well... What would you want me to do? I keep telling you that we have no werewolves in these mountains, and I say you do. I know much more than you do about such things, my friend. I want you to guide me to a certain section of the mountains. I've been most suspicious of because of the newspaper reports. I'll pay you well. Will you do it? The mountaineer thought for a moment. All right, I'm your man. At dawn the next morning, they were on their way. Steve Simon was in the lead, a huge knapsack on his back. Behind him walked the stocky little foreigner. 
his precious rifle carefully slung under one arm. All day long, they pushed on into the blue-tinted mountain country. Drava Abranovich mentally noted the way the farms kept thinning out as they went, became even more convinced that he was right. The only thing that troubled him was that he had not heard the usual uproar that he had come to expect from a neighborhood living in fear of werewolves. Instead, these people insisted that nothing was wrong, but they seemed to keep the children out of sight. Could it be that they were so afraid of offending the werewolves, he wondered, that they preferred to suffer in silence? He patted the dark stock of his rifle. Well, they wouldn't suffer much longer. They made camp that night in the silence with which they had walked all day. Abradovich looked sideways at his guide, decided that the fellow was angry at him for some reason. Look here, my friend Simon, I'm deeply sorry if you think I will cause trouble for your people here in the mountains. But believe me, it is better that they should have a little trouble now than a lot later. Werewolves can spread like wildfire once they get started in the community. Remember, everyone killed by a werewolf becomes a werewolf himself. That's why you have to strike quick and sure at the root of the problem before they can get started. The tall man nodded and looked up from his cooking over the open campfire to say, No hard feelings. Guess you're right at that, but it's kind of stupid, isn't it, to go prancing around with a cracked rifle barrel? Where? Obradovich asked in panic. Where is my rifle barrel cracked? Right here, the other man said, reaching for the weapon. Right about here. As he spoke the last word, he lifted the werewolf rifle with one hand and swung it powerfully through the air and into a patch of brush some 25 yards away. What? Why? Why? Abradovich began stirring stupidly. There was a hideous baying sound all about him. A patter of paws, and abruptly he found himself in a closed circle of phantom wolves. Steve Simon began dissolving into a four-legged creature as he looked at him. You see, Abranovich, you were perfectly correct. You were just a little late, that's all. Our whole community was changed into werewolves a long time ago. And now we kill anybody who has wandered into our mountains and make him one of us. As Draha Abranovich screamed, the surrounding circle of slavering lupine figures gave way so that the horrible creature who had once, long, long ago, been Steve Simon, mountaineer farmer, could hurtle through at the little man. And then, when they were all feeding on his flesh, one by one they raised their transparent snouts and bayed at the boon. They bayed a grisly welcome to the werewolf community for one Draha. Where's a silver bullet when you need it? That's some good stuff from October of 1951. I My think that's gosh. our oldest story that we have this year. That is so cool. It gets a little little grizzly. Feels feels appropriate. Yeah. A little grizzly? Don't you mean a little wolfy? Oh, nice. nice. Nah, well done. Well played. Well played. Well played. I like that at times I could hear a little bit of when you're like doing your Wakandan voice in yeah, there. Can't it's like it. Eastern European and a little bit Wakandan. Which a little bit Wakandan, I, yeah. I say this because... You're going to hear me go next, and one of my accents is going to blow both of your socks off. Cannot wait. So <laughs> excited for this. 
My story comes four months later. It was released in February of 1952. It is from Journey into Mystery number one, and it is called Death Finds a Way. Luke Spandin shivered as he knocked on the door of Annie Batteyes, the old hexwoman of the mountains. He was afraid, terribly afraid, to go in and ask a favor of this woman that all the mountain farmers called a witch. Trouble was, you never knew what Annie might do. Sometimes she played her own private little jokes on people who came to buy a hex from her, and those jokes could be pretty screaming awful. At the thought of what Annie Batteyes could do to him if she ever got angry enough, Luke stopped shivering and started doing what he always did when he was really frightened. He began to sweat. Despite the abiding chill of the November night, the perspiration beaded upon his skin and rolled down his face, his hands, his back, and legs like water through a broken dam. Well, there was no help for it. He'd come this far to buy a hex, a murderous spell from Annie Batteyes, and he wasn't going home without it, not while Fred Gourmet kept on sparking Daisy Tullifer, kept on farming land that rightly belonged to Luke. He lifted his knuckles and rapped twice on the worm-eaten old door. Come in, young feller, a voice cackled from inside somewhere. After the brightness of the moonlight, he almost fell over a chair when he walked into the blackness of Annie's house. The old woman's strange ability to see in the dark evidently made it unnecessary for her to keep a light on in her house. "'Sit down, sit down,' the cracked old voice told him. "'I'll have a candle for you in a moment. Not everyone has eyes like old Annie, and they like to look on the wicked old woman when they come.' A moment later, to his relief, a candle sputtered into life. The face that Luke Spandon saw was lined and wrinkled with a thousand sins, and a pair of huge, questioning, evil old eyes stared at him so searchingly from the midst of it that he was forced to drop his own stare. "'Young you be, indeed,' Annie Batteyes was saying. "'But not handsome. Too much selfishness has spoiled your looks.' Like it spoiled mine, <laughs> so I know why you came. You're in love with a maid who cares for another, less selfish lad. And ye want a charm to dispose of your rival in a foul and filthy way, right? That's right, Luke admitted grudgingly. He was amazed at the depth of the witch woman's insight. He not only took my girl away, he took my land too. He told Annie how Fred Gormit had acquired the mortgage on his farm, and when Luke had been unable to meet payment, had foreclosed the mortgage and taken possession. Well, it was legal, it was legal, Annie crooned to herself. Can't blame the poor young feller for that. If he hadn't, the bank would have... you'd have lost the farm anyway. Then he took Daisy away from me, before he came around with his city-bought suit and his highfalutin manners. She only had eyes for me. Now all she thinks of day and night is Fred Gormand. She never makes anything without asking him first if he wants it, and she even gives him presents that I gave her. The old woman cackled and rocked herself back and forth in her chair so rapidly that the single candle began to flutter dangerously. 
A mate's preference is a mate's preference. There's no change in that even with me own unholy magic. But Fred, don't you have something that will hurt Fred? Luke asked eagerly. I'll pay anything you ask for a hex. It's right dangerous to play around with a killer hex, the ancient crone reminded him. I can tell you one, but I'd advise you. The farmer gestured impatiently. I'll take my chances. Just tell me what it is and name your price. Annie seemed to consider for a moment or two. Then she shrugged as if she'd made up her mind. She reached into the folds of her enormous and filthy black dress she wore and withdrew a tiny wax doll. The doll death, all you need is something that belongs to your rival. No matter who it belonged to before, just so it belongs to him now. A shoelace from his shoes or a button from his shirt. Best of all is a piece of his body like some hair or skin. You press it into the wax of the doll and he's in yet power. Stab the doll and he's stabbed. Burn the doll and he burns. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Luke yelled. How much? The price was a lot more than he'd figured on. Still, he reflected as he handed the bills over to Annie Bat-Eyes. The beauty of this way of killing Fred Gormit was that the law couldn't do a thing to him. The law didn't recognize hexes. Of course, the law didn't know about Annie Bat-Eyes and how powerful she really was. You sweat a lot, don't you? Annie asked as she counted the bills with trembling hands and gave him the little wax doll. You sweat a powerful lot. <laughs> a powerful lot. Of course, he wasn't perspiring outside in the cold night. Luke thought, as the precious doll in his hands, he made his way down the mountain road to Fred's place. When he came in sight of the old farmhouse where Fred, still a bachelor, lived alone, his shoulder muscles knotted with hatred. This had been his house. He scampered lightly up on the projecting gabled roof behind the kitchen and managed to climb from there, as he had planned, to the bedroom window. He slid the window open gently and listened. A faint snore came to his ears. Good. Fred was asleep. He slipped inside the room and stood smiling. Fred had been really cooperative. Not only was he sleeping heavily on the far side of the bedroom, but his clothes were piled on a chair within easy reach of the windowsill, and a roaring fire, evidently built before his rival had climbed into bed, had not yet started to die down in the hearth. This was all too convenient. Something that belongs to your rival, no matter who it belonged to before, just so it belongs to him now. The blue handkerchief, there it was, sticking out of the back pocket of Fred's pants. Luke had bought it at a country fair a year ago and given it to Daisy. When she had fallen in love with Fred, she in her turn had presented it to Luke's successor. What better revenge could he have than to use the blue handkerchief as a means of killing Fred with the doll death? Of course, the old woman had said that something from his body would identify the victim even more closely with the doll of doom, but he might awaken Fred while getting that. Better play safe. He pulled the blue handkerchief out of the pocket of the empty trousers and tied it around the little wax doll. Fred stirred in his sleep and Luke started to work faster, his hands beginning to perspire as he did so. If Fred woke up before he got through, Fred was bigger and faster than he was. Fred would stop him yet. But he had it finished. He straightened and grunted in satisfaction. <laughs> At the noise, his rival woke up. 
Seeing Luke in the room, Fred threw back the covers and prepared to leap across the room. Too late! Luke called exultantly. Even though he was now perspiring like mad, the doll and you are the same, Fred. Now watch and die the doll death! He threw the little wax creature into the fireplace. To his horror, the blue handkerchief slipped off as it sailed through the air. And the moment it hit the flames and began to burn, he felt the most agonizing pain over every square inch of his body, the most incredible and instantaneous suffering in all his insides. As he fell screaming and writhing to the floor, he understood. The pale sheen on the wax doll's surface had been his perspiration. Not only had it made the doll too slippery for the handkerchief, but the sweat came from his body so that he was now identified with the doll, and the doll was burning. The end. What? Damn. <laughs> Hoisted by his own petard. I <laughs> love it. I was laughing so hard. Oh, I heard you giggle. Uh, we, I heard you. It was great. That really encompassed the entire UK. That was... There are no borders in this performance. I am no. I am traveling across <laughs> multiple no nations yes. here. This is what happens when you do voodoo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well said. All right. Are we ready to bring it on home with one last tall tale? Yes. yes. All right. This is from Strange Tales number 27 from January 15th of 1954. And it's called The Clocks. And I dedicate this to anyone who hates getting up for work. Jack Arnold despised his job. In fact, he despised the very thought of shaking the sleepiness from his body, getting dressed, and having his morning cup of coffee, all to the ticking of the small clock in his furnished one-bedroom apartment. He looked at the bedside clock as he contemplated rising, closed his eyes, and tried to shut the sound of the tick, tick, tick of the clock from his ears. His eyes closed and the sound made him remember his job once more. His desk next to the biggest clock in the room. The clock that read, Penrose Clock Manufacturing Co. That old crumb, Jack thought, picturing his boss, Mr. Randolph Penrose, standing over his desk, looking carefully to see what Jack had been doing. And with that picture in his mind, Jack flung the bedside clock from the nightstand, sending it crashing to the floor. An hour later, Jack sat at his desk in the office showroom of the Penrose Clock Manufacturing Company. From the corner of his eye, he could see old Penrose in his office, feet up on his desk, smoking a fat cigar, gazing thoughtfully at his office staff. Jack knew Penrose was probably figuring out ways to annoy the clerks who worked for him, and some extra special ways of goading Jack himself. Penrose had inherited the business from his father and had been forced by his father's will into keeping the business a going concern. The only way in which he could rid himself of the frustration of his dull life was to take it out on his workers. And now he could see Penrose rising, coming toward his own desk. Jack instinctively stiffened as Penrose came closer. Soon, the ticking of the clock above him synchronized with the musty breath of his boss, and Jack could pretend to ignore his presence no longer. Come into my office, Arnold, hissed Mr. Penrose. 
As Jack walked along with Mr. Penrose, he thought that jobs were hard to find these days and forced his feet to move to the large office shared by Mr. Penrose and 87 different models of the clocks manufactured by the Penrose company. The noise was almost deafening as he sat down opposite the leather desk. He looked around at the clocks, all shapes, all colors, time clocks, kitchen clocks, cuckoo clocks, chime clocks, and he gritted his teeth at the sight and the sound. Arnold, Penrose hissed again, you're sitting down on the job wasting my time and money. Mind, I'm not firing you. I'll do worse. I know how you despise your job, these clocks, the sound they make. Therefore, perhaps, if you will sit alone in my office for, say, one hour, listening only to the tick, tick, tick of my clocks, you will learn that I am paying you for working, not daydreaming or complaining. This was too much for Jack. He felt as a child does when being shaken for being naughty, and Jack was no child. With almost a singular movement, he ripped one of the most expensive clocks off the wall and he brought it down, smashing over Mr. Penrose's bald head. He could only hear the dying breaths of the man and the ticking of the terrible clocks as he stopped a moment, then fled from the building. The sounds of the clocks haunted him. They made him remember the days in his early youth somehow. A picture of his father swam before his blazing eyes. A picture of his father sweating, straining, struggling to fix something. What was it? What was it? Now Jack could remember that he had so often tried to put out of his mind. He remembered the sign that stood, weather-beaten and shabby, paint not entirely there, reading, Jacob Arnold Watchmaker, Clock Repairing. And now he could remember the broken-down shack in which he and his family lived, barely existing on the small sums of money his father could scrape together by his work. And the work had meant abundant meals, a beautiful home, which there had been in the old country. The words of Jacob Arnold as he lay dying came back to his son now. Jack, my life has always been watches, clocks. In the old country it meant respect, position, even wealth in here. Nothing, but it has been my son, my life. You must make me this promise. You must learn the business yourself, work up from the bottom, and perhaps you too one day might consider your life's work as I have done. Promise, promise I did, Jack snarled at his remembrance. And then this stinking job came along. I started at the bottom all right, and Penrose made sure I'd stay there. My promise had been my undoing, and even led me to murder. I hate him. I hate my father for making me keep a promise. I never would have made it if I had known. I hate him. Jack tore along the street, knocking into passerbys, not caring where he was going, and suddenly a huge clock loomed up before him, and he stopped staring up at it. Ross Jewelers, it read, in a smaller lettering beneath Penrose Clock Manufacturing Company. 
Jack stopped and picked up a large rock from the street. He flung it at the clock and it smashed, showering him with glass. But he only laughed and ran on until the sounds of excited voices penetrated his thoughts. It's him, the clock killer, the one we just heard about on the radio. Call a cop, somebody call a cop. He heard people running after him, heckling, screaming, shouting at him to stop. He held his head and had to stop a moment. He, he couldn't think of anything but clocks. There were huge clocks that boomed. Murderer. Smaller clocks that snickered at him. Clocks that just stared at him accusingly with expressionless faces. And other clocks whose hands did not point at any numbers, but directly at him. He had to escape from the noise of the millions of clocks. He had to get the tick, tick, tick out of his mind. Jack turned around a small, dark street. Surely he would find peace. For a short moment, he did. And then another tick, tick was heard. But it wasn't a clock this time. It was the click, click of a man's heel in pursuit. A policeman. Suddenly, Jack knew that he must run away from the sound. He must hide from the deafening noise of the clocks. He ran blindly into a large office building. He ran up steps, up up and got quieter and quieter and then the noise again tick 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 he found himself in a clock tower and he knew that the mechanism had to be stopped before the noise shattered his brain Jack didn't see the hook as it tore into his jacket, but suddenly he felt himself being pulled back and forth, back and forth. Just before he fainted, he saw the words, Penrose. And then there was only the tick, 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 tick. And below, the policeman and the pursuers could see the body dangling helplessly from the pendulum of the huge clock above the building, sweeping across the words, Penrose Clock Manufacturing Co. The end. Damn. <laughs> I was TikTok, not expecting mother that. scratcher. Yeah. <laughs> Man, let me tell well you. Well played. Well played. What a bad day at work, you know? <laughs> Seriously. Lord. But, you know, I get it. Like, I'm somebody who hits snooze. I don't think I would murder anyone with a clock over it, but... Yeah, that's true. I'm with you on that. That one comes from, as you mentioned, Strange Tales 27, which came out in January of 1954 and has a really great cover image of a man turning into a werewolf holding a gravestone about to slam it down on a guy whose head is popping out of the ground. It's so weird. I love it. Oh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween, everybody. Immortals. Ah, <laughs> uh, what fun. Next week, we're going to have on Marvel Studios visual development supervisor Rodney Fuentebella. And Joe Fletcher is going to make a little appearance, who is a producer from the mobile game Marvel Puzzle Quest that is celebrating its ninth anniversary right now while we're speaking about it. But, you know, I think... We got to ask folks, what is your favorite moment from Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania's new trailer? I want to hear what the answers are. That big sweeping shot of the quantum realm, I just was like, <sighs> like in intake of air. I was so excited about it. You guys heard me when Kang mm -hmm. walks out and he's got... The face full shield. Full garb. The face shield. Full garb. Yeah. I, uh, yes. 
when you get actor Jonathan Majors talking as Kang, yeah. he's terrifying. He's mm-hmm. he's truly like he has a such a presence to like elicit the feeling of threat and danger and multiversal menace. But of course, you can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, make sure to tell us if it's okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show like we're going to do in our community section right now. Yeah, our question of the week last week was what Marvel character would you want to dress up as for Halloween? Helen Guinell at Helen Guinell tweeted... Thor. I've been Thor before because my nephew told me, quote, girls can't be Thor, quote, end quote. It was all homemade. Wish I had a photo. Someone took one of me holding him, but no one ever gave me a copy. Helen, you will find that proof. Show the world. Yeah. Next up, we got Sarah Kempter at Sarah Kempter, who said, I'm going to be President Loki. Um, Congratulations on winning the vote. Mm-hmm. Re at Grant Juice. I already did President Loki last year. The most compliments I've ever gotten on a costume slash outfit. They also sent us a picture, which great yeah. costume. Re great. Looks costume. great. Jason at Carsta said, "Would love to do Namor. Need lots of accessories." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Katie at Katie underscore Hayer underscore eight said, "The Harbinger of Chaos, the Scarlet Witch. Year two of cosplaying Wanda Maximoff for Halloween. Always so fun. Gotta love a Wanda." Casey at Casey is Punk. I am dressing up as Jen Walters. Is it in Hulk form or is she just full lawyer form? Because honestly, that's kind of clutch if you're just like, I'm Jennifer Walters and I'm just wearing a lady suit. Right. Sethidium at Sethidium tweeted, Werewolf by night, of course. Supernatural Marvel is the best. Yeah. yeah. All right. We got Vine at Miss WandaVision 15 who says... I was Agatha Harkness last year, but it was her 2000s look, and I would love to have her actual costume. Hmm. Eclipse Jirachi at Eclipse underscore Jirachi tweeted, if we had Halloween down under, I'd love to dress up as either Spider-Man, Daredevil, or Moon Knight, all some of my favorite Marvel superheroes. Eclipse, bring it to Australia, please. Yes. A snail from space at a snail from space. Great name. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So descriptive. Um, I plan on going as Mr. Knight. Honestly, I hadn't decided if I'm going with Mark's Mr. Knight from the 2021 comics or Stevens from the show, but we'll figure that out soon, I suppose. <laughs> I'll try to get pictures up once the costume is complete. That would be awesome, a snail from space. <laughs> this email from Joe, who writes in to us often. We really appreciate you, Joe. Joe says, Dear Lorraine, Ryan, and James, I hope this message finds you well. In answer to your question of the week, if I were to dress up for Halloween like a Marvel superhero, I would dress up like Steve Rogers as Captain America. Cap is one of my all-time favorite Marvel superheroes, and I love how he went from being a wimpy kid in Brooklyn to being one of the greatest superheroes of all time. I truly admire his can-do nature and his willingness to help out others. And I've adopted his mantra, I can do this all day as my own. Cap's great example is really coming in handy with the major plot twist that has recently happened in my life story. Joe goes on to tell us a whole bunch of amazing stuff and and things that he's doing. So thank you, Joe, for sharing your story with Lorraine, James, myself, and the team, and all the information about your charity work and the things that you're doing. You are a very busy person, my friend. And quick spoiler alert, if you have not watched the ending of Marvel Studios' She-Hulk Attorney at Law, 
Joe goes on to say, Lorraine, do you think you could possibly ask Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, where he got his robot that was featured in the final episode of Marvel Studios She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which is an amazing show on Disney Plus that I'm sad to see end its season. With all the balls I'm having to keep in the air right now with jobs and everything, I sure could use Kevin to help me out. Thanks in advance for any help you and Kevin Feige may be able to provide. With much love from our faithful ambassador for the People's Republic of This Week in Marvel and the United States of Marvel's pull list from the Wheat State of Kansas. Nice message from Joe. You know what? I am currently messaging our producers that are going to be at the red carpet for Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever with this question. Whether or not it ends up in the live stream, we'll find out. There we go. We'll find out. All right, we've got this email from Evan, and Evan says, Dear Ryan, Lorraine, James, and the crew, I was one of the winners of the Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder Blu-ray sweepstakes and just wanted to express my thanks, both for the awesome prize and the hours of great podcasts I've been listening for years and often mean to write, but I don't think I've written in since the Ben Morse days. Ben Morse being one of our older co-hosts. And Evan continues on saying, over the past few years, I've been raising two little ones. And at the end of the day, I usually only have the energy to read a few comics before falling asleep. It's been great hearing you talk about sharing Marvel with your daughter, Ryan. I cherish my time reading comics, drawing heroes, watching movies, and imagining stories with my kids. Marvel is really our shared language. And making references to Marvel stories is one of my go-to parenting moves when trying to explain a complicated situation or feeling that is beyond my normal words. So, as a way to say thanks, I thought I would share the Marvel misnomers my kids have come up with over their early years. Y'all, I can't. This is so good. I love this. So, Evan says, Refusing to believe that he is just a duck trapped in a world he never made, my kids still call Howard the Duck, Power the Duck. (laughs) He has a Hyperion power set in their mind, and they are uninterested whenever I bring some Steve Gerber classics out of bedtime to correct them. Also, the fact that you're bringing out old Steve Gerber, Howard the Duck comics means you are raising your children right. You are messing them up in all the best ways. Evan says, Mysterio is one of the best designed villains, if you ask me, but they mistook his head for a big bowl and called him Milky Cereal for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And Evan says, this one is probably the most on the nose. They used to call Hawkeye Hot Guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh gosh yes this is very yes, good yes again a multiverse of thanks to you both and jmi and jasmine on marvel's pull us and everyone else over there that make it happen every week make mine marvel and ps on y'all's recommendation i downloaded marvel snap this weekend and i'm already in too deep so addictive <laughs> that it will probably be another five years before i find the time to email again <laughs> i am jjjjr and i'm looking forward to snapping on you both when we meet in battle that was a great email, Evan. Thank you for that. That was that wonderful. Was email from Zachary. My wish for a costume in the Marvel Universe is couples costumes. My wife is my life, and I really want to be that couple that coordinate their costumes. My two biggest dreams for costumes would be a time period accurate Captain America and Peggy Carter or Vision and Wanda. I know my wife would look incredible in either one of those costumes, and I hope to make it happen for us soon, as Halloween is our favorite holiday of the year. Thank you for all you guys do. Hmm. Aw, so sweet. 
All right. We got an email here from James, not James on the podcast, but another James who answered a question from a previous week asking for a favorite moment from Marvel Studios Black Panther and said, hello, twim team. My favorite part of Marvel Studios Black Panther is the cold open with the mystical black dirt morphing into the history of Wakanda. The imagery is magical and the scale is epic. The tone sets the stage for the beautiful movie to follow. Enough said. Also, thanks for including my previous email on the show. I got a real kick out of it and shared it with my wife and friends. James. James, tell him to subscribe to the show. Oh, wait, you weren't talking to me. You were talking to actual James. <laughs> I was talking yeah, to the James, other James. You, know, you, you heard Ryan. You know, James, not James. You heard what Ryan said. Just just do what he just said. It's cool. Who's on first? <laughs> Email from Jacob Waters. Before Marvel Snap came out, I remember on multiple shows, you both talking about how addictive the game is. Knowing this and still thinking I could handle this, I downloaded it right away. <laughs> and oh, snap. I could not put the game down. Love the podcast and love your takes on all things Marvel. Thank you, Jacob. Oh, man, we warned Jeff, but it's a fun way to go. We have a Facebook message here from Raphael Perry who says, this is in reply to a question we had previously about Marvel Studios She-Hulk attorney at law, which said, thanks, She-Hulk, for preventing probably one of the coolest fights that could have ever happened. Laugh emoji. What a great ending. Really enjoyed this series and look forward to to more. I also found Marvel Studios Werewolf by Night to be a great special presentation. Great job, Marvel. Great job. And he went on to talk a little bit about how much he's enjoying Marvel Snap. We're glad that we are sharing with the masses as we should. And with that, we done. This episode of This Week of Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Mephisto, our Dark Lord and Savior. Want to make a deal? Mephisto will make a deal. Mephisto. Dark Lord. I'm Ryan. <laughs> I'm Lorraine. And I'm JMI. This is Marvel. Your universe. Ha, 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 ha.